Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 85,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash twip. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to create a high-quality website or blog. For a free trial and 20% off your new account for six months, go to Squarespace.com and use the offer code TWIP11. This week on TWIP, use your iPhone to scan old family photographs, Nikon eyeing WebOS from HP, and what's behind the rise in popularity of retro photography, and how important is the printed portfolio? It's Wednesday, November 2nd, 2011, and this is TWIP. And welcome back once again to TWIP, your weekly source of photographic inspiration. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson, and joining me today on the show is an all-star cast featuring Derek Story, Syl Arena, and Martin Bailey. Hey, guys. Hello. Hey, Frederick. Hey. All right, this is this is a we've got a we got a Death Star of <laughs> photography talent right now on the show. This is uh, I don't know if I can handle this, so I'm going to try my best. All right. Can you handle us? Is going to be the question, Frederick. <laughs> I don't know. Well, Derek, yeah. what what have you been up to? When you you're always uh, every time you come on, there's like you've done something amazing or you're about to do something amazing. What's yeah, I on? did something amazing. I I escaped to New York this Saturday, and that uh, that crazy weather that hit. You know, the, the the worst weather in 135 years on that particular day. So mm-hmm. we were at Photo Plus, and we had a fantastic time. What uh, was fantastic about it? You know, I love Photo Plus. It's such a, for me, it's such a heady show. The photography IQ in that building for those few days is just exceptional. Uh, And I mean, that's with the people that come by, you know, the attendees, the speakers, uh, the vendors, everyone is just really, it always feels like they're on their game. So it's it's three, four days of of fantastic conversation. Uh, that's, That's what I really like the show. And I I taught a class on uh, multiple how to develop multiple revenue streams to keep your photography business. Oh, going. I missed that. I need that class. <laughs> that was it was a blast. I mean, this, I I didn't think that uh, it would end up going the full three hours. I thought oh, I'll give it an hour and a half. We'll talk a little bit and we'll go. But no, we stayed until we stayed until the end. There, it was um, it was pretty good stuff. Wow. So so it was it was a it was a good trip. But boy, was it crazy. Did your wallet survive, or uh, did it come yeah. back a little lighter? <laughs> I came back a little lighter, you know. <laughs> and I don't know. I might lose out on some miles because I uh, air miles, because I had to, you know, change away from my preferred flyer to get out of town. But I, I was so tired, I wanted to get out of there. Yeah, no, I hear you. Yeah, it was a fun show though. All right. Also on the show is Mr. Silarina. Hey, Sil, how's it going? I'm great, Frederick. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. What's going on in your world, in your neck of the woods? Well, kind of like Derek, I spent last week at Photo Plus, and uh, I was also one of the lucky ones that managed to find a ride home on Saturday. Um, so it was it was a great show. I mean, it was it was really cool. I 
you know, of course, lurked sort of around the fringes of the Canon Pavilion, and uh, they had a lot of great speakers. I mean, it's amazing. You know, people, as a workshop instructor, I know people, you know, they pay money to see me, and they pay money to see others, and that's one of the cool things about that event, is you can go and listen to the free speeches at Canon and Nikon and Sony, and then they've got, like, Derek's class, and just, it's it's an amazing three days. Not mm-hmm. to mention the fact that it's always cool to be in New York when, you know, record-setting weather sets in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I can imagine. All right, and also, you you may have heard of him before, Mr. Martin Bailey. Hey, Martin. Hey, Frederick, guys. It's uh, nice to be back on. It's always a pleasure to have you on. What'd you, what have you been up to? I spent most of last week wishing that I was in New York. The, the, uh, uh, it was, no, I, I mean, obviously, I, I was watching a lot of that as it came, came through online, and it, it seemed like it was a great show, and uh, I'm really hoping to get over there next year. Yeah, no, I hear you. Uh, yeah, I mi- I don't feel bad, Martin. Don't feel bad, Martin. I missed it as well. I was here doing meetups and all sorts of crazy things, and while uh, all, all my friends were in New York partying and having fun and <laughs> marinating in photography. So, <laughs> yeah, I feel bad. So, all right. Well, all right, guys, this is the trifecta. Thank you for uh, taking the time this evening to come on the show. Let's dive right into the stories that we have lined up. It's some interesting things here to talk about. Number one, and these are in no particular order of importance, uh, but uh, this, is a, this is a kind of a kitschy story. There's a new service out there called 1000memories.com and they've developed a, developed an application called Shoebox that lets you scan and share your old photos with your iPhone. So the, I wanted to, wanted to put it to this, this panel to sort of talk about is, is services like this in general, this is a great service. I mean, it looks like, so basically you take your iPhone, you take pictures of old photos and you upload them and you can record captions and other people can caption them. So you can have grandma identifying people in old photos and that sort of thing. But um, my question for you guys, and I'm going to throw it to you first, Sil, um, is do services like this, we're seeing more and more of these iPhone and iOS and Android based services come along and there used to be standalone services, or still are standalone services that just do this kind of thing, where you send them their pic- your pictures, and they scan them in, and you get them back. Is this the end of those? Are we seeing the beginning of the end of those kind of services? No, I, I don't think we're seeing the beginning of the end. I think we're just seeing something different. And, um, you know, so the way, is, as I look at it online, the way that Shoebox for the iPhone works is, you know, essentially you're going to take a photograph of an old photo and... People being who they are, they're not going to line their phone up. So there's a little parallax. And so it's got the ability to go in and straighten the, the picture so it doesn't look like a trapezoid and, and do some other tonal corrections. And then, as you mentioned, the, the sharing capabilities. You know, I, I mean, ultimately, that capture is going to be limited by the quality of the phone. So if you're really into it, obviously, still a flatbed scanner, whether you do it yourself or you send your your picks out to a scanning service is going to give you a much higher resolution. But you know, for those moments like coming into the holidays and you're at grandma's house and she whips open an old photo album. Yeah. Hey, this is better than doing nothing. I mean, I've I've got to say that. Uh, I don't think I'd want to do, you know, 500 photos on my iPhone. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) But, you know, a few select ones. Yeah. I think it's a, I think it's a pretty interesting thing. And then, you know, it's it's relatively new, so we'll see in terms of what kind of community develops up behind it. Um, 
but it's it's always interesting to see what people are figuring out to do with our iPhones. That's what I think it's it's really an amazing time. Not necessarily in photography, just in technology, personal technology. Yeah, totally. Well, Derek, do, does this mean does services like this mean I can forget about my flatbed scanner or what? Well, no, I think it's more you know what. Uh, Sly was saying earlier, it's it augments. This is something new. I I actually like the service a lot. I think it's pretty good because uh, you do have your iPhone with you. Uh, like I have the 4S, and it you know it has a pretty decent camera on mm-hmm. it. And yeah, you're over at uh, relatives' house. I mean, the holidays are coming up. This is kind of you know a good time for this. And you see that shot. You know, you see that shot of mom and dad when they you know when they were engaged, and you go, oh my god, you guys look like kids here. You know, yeah. and uh, it, you can grab it. You know, right away. Uh, they promise that uh, this is going to be archived forever. I mean, they're. I mean, that's mm. one of the things that they're dedicated to. Mm. Uh, it's free. Yeah, free, it's a, f- a free service. Uh, I mean, I think they're very sincere, and you know, they are. Uh, they're they're partnering with the Internet Archive and so forth. I mean, uh, I think uh, they're serious, and uh, I, I think it has legs. And I'll tell you, anything that helps us, you know, archive and tag. Tagging is a big part of this, mm-hmm. you know, adding names and captions. Anything that helps us archive uh, these images that are out floating around that could get destroyed otherwise and get them somewhere where they they can be preserved, I'm all for. Yeah, I think I think it's huge, you know, from that that standpoint. I have a I'm part of their target demographic, I guess, because I have a box, a shoebox actually, full of old prints that from my dad for some reason entrusted them to me, you know, mm-hmm. you know, number five well, of five kids. I don't know something <laughs> about photography, but yeah. he gave them to me to you know to take care of, and I want to get them online. So I'm, I am looking at this service. I'm like, well, can I just do it this way, or do I need to send them? into a uh you know a, a, another service like for example there's a there's one out there called go photo sure that uh that does this you send them a box of your photos or negatives or whatever and they will scan them in at high res and and dust them off and you know get them back to you so. well you know that's great but but you know think about it this way what happens is sometimes we never get to that big project i cannot tell you how many archiving projects i have not gotten to <laughs> you know but this you know for instance let's just say you're kicking around one the house one night and you're having a nice tea and you see that shoebox and you go you know what I can knock 20 out right now while watching the football game, mm-hmm. you know, and boom, you, you know, you just do them and you go, you might go back and s- seriously scan them later on, but you know what? You've, you've preserved 20 shots right there. Yeah. You know, yeah. just goofing around. And, and I think that's kind of what I like about it. Yeah. Martin Bailey, is this something that you might find useful or is it, uh, are you thinking that, well, if I'm going to shoot it, I'm going to shoot it with a, with a DSLR or a scanner or send it away? Well, I think that the Derek's just touched on the on the key point here in that, you know, a lot of people just don't want to go to that trouble. They I'm I'm the only person in our family. I did this a few years ago. I had my mom send over her shoebox and um <laughs> I I did the same with a with a, a friend's family who um I used to hang out with when I was a kid. And basically I'm the only one now that has got a copy a digital copy of all of those images and the rest of the family doesn't even want a copy because they don't know what to do with it. Um, so, but I think that you know your average person um, with a phone and and probably doesn't own a flatbed scanner. It's just like Derek said. You, know, you can just knock a few out when you feel like it, and it doesn't have to become a huge major project. Um, and I think that for those sort of people, the ability to just waft your phone over it and and it's archived forever is uh, is pretty big. So 
I, I probably won't use it myself. I mean, I'll I'll go for the flatbed scanner and and get a higher quality image, but. That's me, you know. The majority of people will probably be happy enough with this, and so it seems well, like a good. On their serve. site, on their site, they're claiming that it surpasses or is at least as good as a flatbed scanner. Is that uh, with with a, with a, an iPhone? It's pretty much impossible. You know, you, you're not going. I think that if you if you get the, um, you know, the if you if you've got a, a a flatbed scanner that you don't know how to use, and and you, you know, you just sort of say scan everything in at 72 dpi or something <laughs> silly like that yeah. then then maybe so i think and they're probably they're probably working on the fact that the majority of people don't know how to use the flatbed scanners as well right but right. I, I think that if if you do it properly you can get some really good resolution images but the, the biggest problem and, and this is probably where it doesn't make much of a difference is that most of the images if it's come out of a polaroid and it's it's like a, a four inch square image or something like that then it's it you don't have a lot to play with in the first place so you know, I mean, it, they could be right in that a lot of the old technology it was it wasn't that great anyway. So the the original prints aren't going to be brilliant. But if you've got a really good quality, relatively large base print, then you you can scan it in and get a really nice you know a really nice image from that. So yeah, when I when I do scan things and I have a I have an HP Envy you know the, the flat it's a uh, one of those multifunction printer scanner jobs mm. and mm. it uh you know with with the software that comes with it and i think image capture as well Derek, Derek, correct me if i'm wrong but you can put multiple images on the the glass and scan it and it will break yep. them apart into yeah. separate yeah. files which yeah, i think is kind of magic you know I it's, love it's a box you check in the hp software just you know detect the different images and it's pretty cool and it gives you separate images one scan separate images yeah yeah and that, that scanner also allows you to scan uh you can scan images into multi doc multi-page pdf files so mm -hmm. you know it's just it's it's really cool plus it, I, I i like the hp scanners by the way i, I think i think they do a, a good job yeah yeah i have to agree this is uh it's one of the best scanners i've purchased so far but you know also connected to this story is um you know this one is the the story with uh you know scanning your your old photos they're kind of retro you know um the next piece of this is google plus now they're adding retro filters to google plus to allow you to mimic things like you know reala 400 film polaroid pictures lomo you know daguerreotype all this stuff all these old things to sort of bring the the uh, you know kind of let you beat up your pixels <laughs> as you shoot them and make them look distressed you know and facebook is supposed to be doing something similar with their service now what do you you know i want to still you're you know, i want to i want to say you're the purest of the crew what do you think about this i mean is it right to like I mean, right and wrong is is kind of subjective but is yeah. this a good thing what do you think you know, it's it's another for me. It's another creative tool in the box that I'll probably never pick up. But that doesn't mean that it shouldn't <laughs> be in the box. You know, I mean, I, I lived through all of those different formats. I don't go back as far as daguerreotype. But, it's like you know, it's like going back to your high school and dating a girl, I mean, and you were dating. You no, know, I mean seriously, I did carbon prints and cyanotypes in art school. Um, as part of my BFA project. So I never, you know, it's like they wouldn't let me play with any mercury, so I couldn't do daguerreotypes. Yeah. Um, which I think, uh, real daguerreotypes, I think are absolutely magical. Um, but anyway, you know, uh, I don't know. I work really, really hard um, to, you know, craft light and, and make a good capture. And, you know, of course, people look at my images and go, that doesn't look like what I see in front of the camera. That's crap. Yeah. But that's just the way I, you know I choose to to use my cinematic or pictorial lighting approach. 
Um, so I have no desire to throw on like a filter over the top of one of those things. But you know, hey, for snapshots and stuff like that, again, you know, with your iPhone tootling along, yeah, it's it's fun. I don't know that I'd make a portfolio effort out of it though. Yeah. Um, but that said, I'm not going to diss anybody because they choose to use it. At least Martin, too much. Mark, now what are those to you? What do you what do you think about this? I mean, when these these services like Instagram, um, etc., Camera Plus, you know, on the iPhone has built in filters, and now we're seeing them make their way into Google Plus and and presumably Facebook. The images that you get from these sort of one touch preset effects, kind of like Lightroom, you know, but these mm. these kind of these kind of one touch preset effects. Are we going to see like award-winning photographs that have been produced from these services? Are we are we at the beginning of that, or is this kind of like you know? I look at it personally. I look at this kind of thing as for my own use. I look at it like junk food photography. It's not like real things that I'm 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 trying to create art from. I'm just playing around with my thumb, you know, on my iPhone <laughs> while I'm doing something else. I don't know, but I want to. Martin, I'm, I'm curious to hear what you think about this. Uh, I, I'm I'm. Never going to say never. I mean, I'm probably 40 pounds overweight because of all of the hats I've eaten over the years. Um, <laughs> but I, I really, uh, I think that the, you're not going to see, uh, uh, I don't know, award-winning images. But like I say, I, I'm, I shouldn't say you're never going to see that. You might. But to me, I mean, like, like Sil, I, I don't, I work hard to get high-quality images. And I, I can't imagine throwing something like that over some of my really nice, sharp, or, or dreamy sort of wildlife work. It's just, yeah. You know, but I do see a lot of, I mean, I, I've seen a lot of the images that, um, you know, come up onto Instagram. I don't, I don't follow it closely, but some of the images, uh, like Zach Arias is, is using it quite a lot. And, and I, I don't know, I mean, it, it, the way people use it seems really good if you're into the sort of photography that works with it. I mean, you know, Family snaps and things look great. They look like the pictures of me on the sofa with my mum when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, but and also, you know, street photography. I think it can work really well. But it, I think it depends on the sort of work that you do, and it, it's it's probably a bit gimmicky as well. I, I'm not, I don't generally tend to jump on those sort of bandwagons. I'll, you know, I've got a style that may to some people be pretty boring, but you know, I I like to portray the world. Beautifully and crisply, and 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 you know, I, I can't see myself grunging up my images with many of these filters. Yeah, Derek, are we going to see uh, a Derek Story workshop with <laughs> these kind of filters? <laughs> <laughs> mm, well, Ooh. maybe in 2013. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, you know what? They're fun. They're fun. You know, they're good for brainstorming. Uh, I, I mean, for me, it's sort of like airplane play. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so yeah, sometimes I'll pull up a shot. I, I like to do it on the iPad, you know, because, you know, a bunch of apps will do that. And you just, you know, play with uh, a photo. It's usually, Martin, not one of my better photos I do this to. It's usually something I go, God, what do I do with this piece of, you know? <laughs> <laughs> let, me, let me destroy the evidence. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe I'll play with it first. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, and you, you get a lot of different looks. And I'll tell you, sometimes when I'm just fooling around with this stuff, I'll get an idea and then I'll go back. To my uh, computer and you know use my serious tools and say you know I, I kind of got that look on the airplane it wasn't too bad play with it a bit so uh, I think it's sort of fun and you know I think it's good to get the creative juices going but uh, probably not much beyond that 
Yeah, no, I, I tend to agree. But we'll see. You know, like Martin, we may be gaining weight soon from eating our hats. But <laughs> <laughs> but it, in the meantime, while we're gaining weight, it sure is a lot of fun to play with these little toys, right? They are good. Yeah, I agree. All right, guys. But before we go on to the next story, I want to take a moment out to remind the audience about our Facebook page. You can join in on the TWIP conversation. You can submit your questions, your comments, and more. You can check it out at facebook.com forward slash This Week in Photography. You can also check us out on the TWIP forums at thisweekinphoto.com forward slash forums. And also, um, if you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, you can come to one of our TWIP meetups. We'd love to have you there. You can sign up to get notified for upcoming events by visiting just use the short code fvj.me slash twip dash meetup that's fvj.me slash twip dash meetup and you'll find all the details on the upcoming meetups and all that and they are all completely free all right this next story before we continue with everything is um, I just want to quickly touch on this one. This is about Nikon and the uh, the WebOS, which we thought was defunct. Now, WebOS is an operating system that Palm built, and then Hewlett-Packard bought Palm, presumably for the WebOS, and then they launched their, what was it, the touchpad tablet, and then it didn't sell well in the first week and a half, so they killed it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they killed it. Then they fired their CEO. Then they hired. So it just goes on and on and on and on. So the question for this this group is WebOS. Now, I've played with it a little bit, and I was really impressed with it. It seemed like a really crisp OS. But does this... Now, Nikon has, has pulled up the covers and opened the kimono, if you will, with Microsoft, you know, for their OS, for the... For the or for the um, um, I'm sorry for the uh, what am I? I'm losing my train of thought. No, no, erase that. So Nikon, <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking about something completely different. I'm thinking about something completely different. I was going to try to help you out for you know. I, I was thinking I no, no, work. no. This is where I was going with that. I'm okay. not even going to edit this out. This is where I was going with that. I was thinking right. Nokia. So oh, oh, okay. Nokia is in bed with Microsoft and pull up the kimono. Nikon has not. So. All right. So the question is, you know, what do you guys think about this? Just really quickly, if Nikon is among those interested in buying WebOS from HP, what does that mean? I mean, does that mean that Nikon's going to create a camera? Does that mean we're going to see WebOS in cameras, or or Nikon's going to create a phone, or what? What? What's the deal? I'll throw it to you first, Derek. Okay, uh, I think it's kind of interesting. I mean, WebOS is is not bad. It just hasn't found a home yet, uh, the proper home. Yeah, and I'm not sure Nikon is uh, the proper home, but <laughs> I would love to see. I would love to see what they try to do with it. I'm not interested in it so much uh, being integrated into the camera, but if they, uh, w- you know, I mean, it, it could it could be. But I, I'm I'd hope that they do something like completely wacky and different, and you know, introduce a new product, and maybe that's WebOS based. Yeah. You yeah. know, do, do something innovative, you know, go where the puck hasn't been yet. Something, something. I'll tell you, something. this, this yeah. last meetup I did, we were, you know, I was demonstrating one light in, in photography with one Nikon SB900 strobe and a reflector. And then I let the folks in the audience, we had like 75 people there. And I let the ones that were shooting Nikon, they brought their cameras with them. And we're going to try to get them to trigger, using the CLS system, trigger the strobe and shoot the model and all that. Right. And this is the first time I had a chance to sort of hold the range of Nikon cameras and go through the menuing system to actually activate the commander mode. Mm-hmm. And 
the the OSs are just wildly different. Yeah, know? yeah. I, I was like, is this the same camp? Like, who made this stuff? You know, it was insane. I I'd, I'd be grateful if Nikon just said, you know, Control Alt Delete. We are going to install a new OS on all our, on our cameras going forward, and it is WebOS, and it it is wonderful. That would be fun. I mean, you know, I mean, there there are some definitely some possibilities here, but uh, you know, we'll 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 see what what happens. I'd like to see WebOS find a home. I would. Yeah. I would. I would too. So, what about you, Martin? It's just I know you're not an icon shooter, but if you know if the competitor to Canon was to install WebOS as the uh, platform of choice for their hardware, would that be a good thing? I, th- I think that there's there's certainly room in, room for improvement on the the menus of cameras, and mm-hmm. you know they're getting better each year, but still they can be a little bit archaic and different, difficult to use. But I I think that you know that if we if we get a little, say, an iPhone-style sort of swiping be- between screens and you can do everything with your fingers, I think there's benefits to that um, in that, you know, a lot of people are becoming are getting used to that kind of touch panel, uh, you know, maneuvering or, or working your way through the various sort of aspects, you know, the various screens, and if you could just tap on something. But the last thing that I want to do with my SLR camera, at least, maybe for compacts, but... For an, an SLR, the last thing that I want to do is be tapping on a screen to focus and stuff like that. You know, mm-hmm. what I mean, I think for for maneuvering around the menus and for working with that, there's a lot of a lot of room for improvement. But I I, I really want to keep my my sort of my normal tactile sort of you know got hands on feeling for actually operating the camera itself. You know, the the shutter buttons and the focus and all of that. Yeah. Still, are you a purist, or you uh, do you <laughs> do you want this level of technology and to make start making its way into uh, these high end DSLRs, or is it just is it all about shutter speed, f stops, and ISO? Well, I, you know, I, I, I God, I, anybody you've you, you've called me a purist twice tonight. I'm just stunned. You are a purist. Uh, <laughs> I love it. You are. <laughs> um, yeah, that's why my hair's so straight. Um, you know, I, let's let's let me let me back up and comment. You use the word. Um, you know, OS in terms of the the Nikon operating system. Mm-hmm. I don't. Th- I don't think the engineers think in terms of OS or or user interfaces. Um, and I can assure you, Frederick, that if you've been going through a series of Canon cameras, you would have found the menu systems as equally disjointed. There is no commonality. Yeah. Um, so the, I think the real page, whether it's a touchscreen, you know, I think the real the real opportunity is for camera manufacturers to make, whether it's tactile buttons and dials or whether it's touchscreen, I think the opportunity is for camera manufacturers to design a user experience with that piece of hardware that becomes intuitive. Do I want essentially to have a giant touchscreen on the back of my DSLR? Probably not because, you know, I have a hard enough time just sending text messages and getting the right number. Um... I think I'd have a really hard time perhaps setting shutter speed and aperture and all that. But I'm pretty certain that, you know, at some point down the future, virtually every camera is going to have a flat panel control system and all the buttons and dials will go away. But I don't think that day is close at hand. Yeah, yeah, no, I I agree. Martin, where where do you fall on this? I mean, I mean, I, I know you are one of the few people, I guess, that have purchased two of the latest and greatest cameras <laughs> to come out of the Canon Corporation. Um, 
I mean, notwithstanding that, I mean, those, those cameras are will represent the state of the art in camera and image capture technology. Do you think when you see them, I mean, is the OS or the the menuing system on there going to be any better? Or, well, I know it probably um, won't, but, you know, what do you think about it? Yeah, I've seen I've seen a video where someone was flicking through the menus and it seemed the guy would seem to be very sort of used to using the menu system. But also that I mean there was graphically it looked a lot better. They they had um like there's a there's a couple of new buttons on the front and uh, there's you know, there's a whole lot of customization that you can do. And it was all represented with a an actual uh, a diagram of the camera. It wasn't just text, it was there was a diagram of the camera showing you like highlighting where the button was that you were about to customize and so they're definitely getting better I think that there's um, there, there may well be room for improvement I personally don't feel because I'm used to using my cameras I don't feel that frustrated with them and for sure I mean even if we go to a we have some sort of a swiping to go to the next screen and tapping to select things then I mean it needs to work with really you know I mean if I'm on top of a mountain at minus 30 I need to be able to operate my camera without removing my gloves for the most part. Yeah. So it's, it's got to work with, you've got to have at least really sensitive so that it'll work with the gloves or have a, a button that allows you to, do, to make the same things. You couldn't just have one or the other. Um, but then, you know, I, like I said earlier, I, mean, I, I don't want to be focusing and doing stuff like that with it either. I, my sausage fingers, I, I, I'd be fo- <laughs> focusing on the wrong thing all the time. But so it's. I think that there's there's room for this sort of stuff, but I I think that as well. That I, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago when I was talking with you guys that you know I'd had a lot of problem just finding out finding out how to make a certain setting on my S ninety five. Yeah. And I think that that's where it will come into play more than your DSLRs because most DSLR users are relatively accustomed to to working with those cameras, but. The, the compact cameras would probably be improved greatly if they could figure out how to make it more like a phone and just, you know, the, the, just flick through things and, and just do it rather than having to dig down and find out all of these various things. Because the compacts can be difficult. Yeah. Well, I mean, we've, we've on the show, we've talked before. Um, Alex has brought it up several times about how he'd like to see a camera body that you can just snap your iPhone into and start taking pictures and have apps that you can run, etc. Well, we got some listener feedback from listener uh, Godfrey DGORG, DGORG. And he writes, he sent us some feedback on this. We discussed it in episode 224, and he brings up some good points. I mean, I'm going to take some, he wrote a really long email. I'm going to take some pieces out of it just to piece together what the idea was. And he says, I listened to TWIP224 this morning. There's a section in there where Alex and others go on and on about how they want a camera with an iPhone or Android controller. Frankly, this notion leaves me completely cold. I don't want to be looking at my camera at all. Don't want to touch screen, control interfaces, etc. To me, the ideal camera simply disappears in my hand so I can concentrate on my subject and not on the camera. And he goes on to say, creativity blossoms when you concentrate on the work to be done rather than the tools to do the work. And then finally he says, I want to look at my subject and let my trained fingers run the controls comfortably, quickly, without having or without my having to think about it much. Now that, that makes a lot of sense to me because when you're, 
when you're in the zone, you're shooting whatever your subject matter is, you, the, the camera almost needs to become an extension of you. Like you're whipping around and the only time you need to look at it is when you want to make sure that the shutter speed is at whatever you wanted it at and, you know, and so on. And then back in the day, Derek, I know you can attest to this. Back in the day, <laughs> <laughs> back in the day, like when we were shooting with like Nikon or whatever your, your flavor of camera was when you were shooting in manual mode or you know, you were high tech if you were shooting at aperture priority. It was very much like that. I mean, we could switch. You could change films with your eyes closed, you know, that kind of thing. So, Derek, I want to throw it to you first. So, you know, you this this listener, you know, Godfrey D. Georgie. D, I can't pronounce his name. D.G. Orgy. D.G. Orgy. So he makes a really good point. I mean, and I want to find out what all three of you guys think about this and where you fall on it. Is your camera to be an extension of you or do you need to have the mind pathways to be able to say, okay, I know that I press this button seven times to get to this menu to switch it into commander mode, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I think, I think he has a very good point. Uh, one of the things, in fact, I was on uh, Leo's show yesterday and we were talking about this very same thing on uh, twit photo. And I think that, the sooner that you can bond with your camera to where you know how to do what you need to do inside and out without thinking about it, then you're able to fall into the zone. And falling into the zone is, I think, when you take your best shots. And I think that that is the ideal situation for me, and I think it is for a lot of people. I think where technology comes in to this equation is not so much for the, the pure shooting experience, but for the things that are around it, you know, and uh, maybe moving the images off the camera and getting them to a client quicker or something like that. Yeah. But as, in terms of capturing the shots, yeah, bond with your camera, have it be an extension of your vision, fall into the zone and get on with it. Yeah. Martin Bailey, what about you? I mean, when you're, when you're out there shooting and you're leading your workshops and you're in the zone, is your camera such that you just pull it up and you know what it's set at and you you could depending on the lens it's on there you know the weight and all that or describe that feeling yeah i i the camera definitely becomes an extension and and especially when you're using similar or or the same you know two of the same body but i i think that you know i i what God, godfrey talks about i agree if if i'm reading a, or you know a lot of the stuff that he's saying um, correctly, then I, I I think I pretty much agree with him. But I I also think that you know he, he talks about the uh, the camera not looking at the camera. I think that with the technology that we have these days, with the histogram and things like that, not using that is also uh, uh, you know wasting a lot of the um, you know the the technology or what technology is allowing us to do because we've got the tools now to be able to make ideal exposures much much easier than we've ever been able to do so whereas I agree that you don't want to be fiddling around with your camera you certainly don't want to be messing around in menus to get the things that should be relatively easy to do and mostly they are on DSLRs um, I also think that totally ignoring the technology and and not taking note of, you know I mean I tweak the XMI exposure continuously with the, with the histogram and I think if you ignore all of that side, then you're wasting the tools that are available to you. And, you know, progress is progress, and things will change. Yeah. Um, and and whether whether you want to use all of that, obviously, it's up to the individual. But I think that there are things that you can take on board, and it will help you 
to make the whole process of shooting much more smooth and you know and the results better um but you know for sure what do you, i mean what he's saying about having to jump in and do everything with menus like i said earlier I and mean, I, I don't want to be using the menu to control the camera i want to i want to use a menu to fine-tune custom functions things like that um but i mean i even hate having to go into a menu to turn on mirror lockup there yeah. there should there should be my my camera should, for example, know when I've plugged in a, 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 a cable release that I automatically want to be in mirror lockup mode, and and it, you know that's something that's not not been implemented for years. But and there's a lot of people that want this. Just it, I'm, they could probably even do it with a firmware update. Once once there's a cable release plugged in, automatically switch to more mirror update or give me a custom function to make that happen. You know, make it make me choose it. But you know, there's a lot of things that I want to do with to customize the camera with a menu. But once I've got it working how I want it to, you know, the, the most that I want to do is to be able to even quickly switch between customization modes. You can do this, but you know, save one or two different um, types of customization. So one for wildlife shooting, one for landscape, one for still life. Various things that you want to do. Um, all of that needs to be set, and that's fine to do that in a menu. But when I'm shooting, I want to be able to switch through things quickly and just make decisions with my fingertips and, and not have to jump into the menu. So I, I agree with what Godfrey's saying, um, as long as I'm reading what he's saying correctly. But I do think that, that, that there's a lot of technology that we can make the most of, and I definitely don't want to ignore that either. Yeah, to me it seems like there's three worlds, right? I mean, it seems like there's the there's the consumer world where you really want that kind of... OS, you know, you want things to be simple and glossy and buttons and drop shadows and all that. Um, then there's the pro world at the far right of it where you want, you just want control and you need to be able to get to things fast and muscle memory and all that. But I think there's also a, ro a world in between those two um, where maybe perhaps you could switch between those modes. So if you're in, you're in Martin Bailey in the mountains of Japan leading a workshop mode, you know, you want all the control you could possibly get and you want things to be on muscle memory. But if you're just, you know, the, your average photographer who's taking pictures and just learning and starting to love photography, maybe the camera kind of switches itself to a learner mode um, and, you know, or training wheel mode where you can, you know, start learning the different functions and what they do. So, I mean, what, where do you fall on this? So, I mean, it, should we, should we be looking for the, the OSs of these cameras to just get more and smarter and smarter and leave, leave the driving to them? No, I, I think it's where you kind of just jump on the merry-go-round. Um, if you're an old school shooter who is used to having like an aperture ring in your lens, mm -hmm. then you might actually still desire a lens that has an aperture ring. Um, you know, a kid who's jumping in the photo world today, he's not gonna he's not gonna cry over the lack of a lot of the buttons and dials that I feel really comfortable driving on my my Canon gear today. Yeah. So you know, ultimately, I mean, the bottom the bottom line here, and I don't care whether it's you know, photographers and cameras or a chef and a knife who's julienning a carrot, there is a point at which you become so good at whatever tool you are using that it truly does become an extension of your thought. Yeah. And the reality is engineers can go so far in designing whatever that implement is, whether it's camera, a knife, a golf club, whatever, but then the rest of it's up to the user to just practice and get out there and do it. And eventually, whatever that tool is, and no matter how it's designed, if you stick with it long enough, 
it will become completely an intuitive motion for you so that you can focus on what's going on in front of you and express yourself without worrying about those buttons and dials. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I mean, we'll, it will be around, so we'll have to keep our eye on the technology and we'll, of course, report on it as different things roll out. All right, before we, before we move on, I wanna, this, there's another story in here that I want to definitely talk about. Uh, Zach Arias wrote a post recently on his blog, um, and basically he was talking about portfolios and how print portfolios are critical or important. And I'm going to quote him here. He says, I know many of you are wondering why I'm working on a print portfolio. What about websites, PDFs, iPhones, thumb drives, laptops, etc., etc.? Are printed portfolios still relevant? In my opinion, they are. And he goes on to say, that opinion is also held by many in the editorial and advertising world. I know of two leading ad agencies that won't meet with you if you walk in with only an electronic portfolio. They want to see your book. All right. Derek Story, um, where are we in this? I mean, there's there's two, two schools of thought on this, I mean, or various schools of thought, but two that I want to focus on. There's one that says everything is electronic. Everybody has a browser. Everybody has a device. My images should be pixels and bits, and I should be able to share them that way. And then the other side of it is photography is a tangible medium where you want to feel the photo and hold it in your hand and, and bring it close to your face and smell the paper and all that. What's the right way? Well, I mean, you know I love electronic uh, media. I absolutely, I think it's great. I love showing stuff on my iPad. All that good stuff, it's fantastic. But to this day, I don't really feel like I know an image until I see it on paper. Hmm. And uh, so if I really think I have something, I can uh, live the, the illusion on my, on my computer screen and iPad and iPhone and all that. But I don't really get to say that I have something good until at least 13 by 19 inches come out of the printer and and uh, I live with it for a bit. So I think uh, Zach makes a great point. Uh, I think it's not an either-or situation. It's a situation where I, I love all of these different forms of our images. But paper is, is special. And paper, to me, when I take a shot, I uh, you know nurse a shot through the post-production process. And then I'm the guy that makes the print. And I actually hand that print to somebody. I feel like that I've actually created something from start to finish. And to this day, it's I think it's still one of the best feelings. Yeah. Now, Martin Bailey, I know you have printers sitting in the room with you right now. Um, so I know you're no stranger to creating physical prints that exist in the real world. Is mm. but portfolio wise, is it is it critical that photographers that are trying to say make their name? in advertising, notwithstanding Zach's post, but, you know, trying to make their name in advertising, is it critical that they have a book with them? I'd say yes in many ways. Um, when I go to visit a client or a potential client about a job, I'll do both. I take images printed that I think that they might want to be look, they might want to look at. I don't maintain a portfolio as such. I, I, you know, I change it quite a lot. Um, and I don't try to keep a printed version of my book with the quote fingers going up there. Um, but I, what I do is I will always take um, a portfolio bag with some printed images in. And it, and it depends on the sort of client that I'm meeting. If, it's, if I'm going to see someone that is possibly going to use some of my images, then I'll try to print out, you know, say some of my wildlife work, I'll try to print out some of that. Um, but I'll also, if I'm going to work with, if I'm going to meet with someone that I'm going to do a portfolio, uh, sorry, a, a portrait shoot for, then I'll take portrait prints. 
And I mean, with that though, I mean, there, there's a different ulterior motive in that I want to sell them the prints as well. When I, you know, I make a certain amount for the session, but then I want to make another block of money for prints that I make from the resulting images. And if you show people good quality prints of, of other people's, um, you know, their, their portrait work, then the, the new client is more likely to buy a number of prints of similar sort of quality or size. So there's, there's two reasons why I'll do that. But I, I'd certainly think that, you know, the, the printed image, like Derek was saying, I love printing and I, I put, spend a lot of time printing. Um, but when I do go to meet clients, I'll also take either an iPad or uh, a laptop and I will have a batch of images there as well because I don't want to be printing out hundreds of shots and I, I rarely show hundreds of shots, but I certainly want to be able to, if they say, well, have you got anything like this or, or can you do this sort of work? I don't always have the ability to know exactly what they want to see before I go. And so I will also take electronic media and, and I'll hand them my iPad with a uh, you know a certain type of work in there, or I'll I'll just get them get them up in Lightroom and I'll show them the electronic version as well. So I think it's a bit of both with me. Now, Sil, uh, throwing it to you, I mean, is this an either or proposition? Like you know, like Martin says, it's it's a little bit of both. Where do you fall on that? Oh, I I think for a commercial advertising shooter, it's absolutely both. Um, you know, the reality is, I think still at the agencies, the people who are making the buying decisions came up through the print world and even still particularly if they're buying for a print campaign right? if you're shooting if they're thinking about hiring you to shoot a magazine ad series then absolutely you've got to show them your work on paper and if you really want to tweak it you know if it's a high gloss magazine you show up with the high gloss portfolio if it's one of those mags that shoots on these cool matte papers then you show up with a you know you try to fine tune it um, but that said just as easily, if you're going after an internet campaign, then they're going to see it on the web. Um, keeping in mind that the people who are making these decisions, by and large, are still old enough that they're going to fall in love with the print um, first and foremost and say, okay, you've got all the requirements. You've got the print portfolio. You've got the iPad, on and on and on. Um, and I think what a lot of the electronic portfolios do is give you the ability on the fly to show work when you didn't expect to have the opportunity. Some guy you meet you know, on the airplane or some guy you're riding up the elevator with and you whip out your iPhone, you whip out your iPad. Um, so, you know, I, I, I've got a lot of affinity for Zach and I think he's dead on on this one in terms of saying, I'm keeping it real uh, and I'm going out there and I'm working a portfolio. And for anybody who's thinking about going through the portfolio process, you've got to find Zach's post on this because... It's not a simple process. It's one that really kind of rips at your soul in terms of saying, okay, which 20 shots am I going to send in to represent the entirety of my work right. as a photographer? It's like, um, which, which of my children do I save from the burning building? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, or which of, which of my children do I let out of the small box to see the light of day? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, you know, it's crazy. I think I, I'm going to stick to my guns, and I, I agree with you guys. I think, you know, it's – I don't think print is dead by any means, but, yeah, I think it's a hybrid, and it's it's using the right tool for the right job, right? 
All right. Um, let's give a quick nod to one of our sponsors. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. They're the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks, and they've got more than 75,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature. And they feature audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers. And for TWIP listeners, Audible is featuring a free audiobook to give you a chance to kick tires of their service. Um, one of the books that I am listening to right now, I'm listening to like three or four because I have, I don't know. I have audiobook ADD or something, but uh, one of the ones that I'm listening to is called Free. It's from Chris Anderson. Um, I think he's a former editor of Wired. Um, and uh, it's Free, the Future of a Radical Price. And it's all about how, you know, the, we're in this information economy where we give things away for free in order to get attention, in order to maybe do a cross-sell later or that kind of thing. But in many cases, free is good enough. So, uh, lots of people or millions of people end up getting a service for no cost at all. You know, read Google Mail, that kind of thing, where others um, that choose to pay for expanded features in the service pay for the rest of us. So it's a, it's an interesting look at the economy that we're in right now. And uh, it's a really easy listen. So I give it a give it a give it a look. It's free by Chris Anderson. And you can get that book for free if you want to check it out on Audible. Just uh, head over to free or audiblepodcast.com forward slash twip. That's audiblepodcast.com slash twip. And uh, download the book and give it a shout. All right, guys. Um, it is time for listener Q&A. This is a segment when our guests answer questions that may have come in from our audience via our website, forums, our Facebook group, Twitter, etc. If you want to post your questions to us on one of those services or especially Twitter, just use the hashtag TWIP questions to submit your questions for future shows. All right. Question number one is from Straight Shot Photo in the TWIP forums. He's, he's looking, he or she, say they're looking for some advice on how to photograph the moon with some foliage in the foreground and properly expose for both. So, Derek, how do you take photos of a light <laughs> and <laughs> with something in the foreground that you can also see? How do you do that? Yeah, that's a great one. And then uh, the part that... Um I think it's a little tricky as properly exposed for both. I right. mean, that's, that's a very subject. I mean, I can sort of guess on what proper exposure would be for the moon. Yeah. Uh, you want to see some detail. But for the foliage, I mean, that I think that's an artistic interpretation. But you're absolutely right. You're, you know, the moon is bright. I mean, I think the biggest problem that people have just in general with, with moon photography is they don't, they underestimate how bright it is. And then it's in a black sky or a very mm -hmm. dark sky. And yeah. so, I mean, really, if you're shooting like at ISO 400, let's say, uh, at F16, a full moon is like a 1 250th of a second, something. Mm -hmm. and, I mean, that's bright mm -hmm. at F16. So the you're going to have a hard time getting, if, if he wants the foliage sort of, you know, visible, not in the shadows, then, uh, you know, most of the time you're going to, have to do something tricky mm -hmm. <laughs> like two shots maybe <laughs> two shots or add a light you know i mean you know there's there's some fun things that you can do with uh where you add some light with mm -hmm. a, a fill light of some sort and you know play with that but i think i, I would start if, if it were me working on something like this i would start with getting the moon exposed properly first and then uh you know go and see what what kind of artistic interpretation i could do with the surrounding environment Gotcha. Martin, um, how would you handle a situation like this? I think that the 
if you have foliage in the foreground, then, you know, obviously if it's between you, your camera and the moon, then the part that's got the moonlight hitting it is probably not the part, the side of the leaves and the stuff that, that you are going to be photographing. But you might get a few reflections in there, but really without doing something, like Derek says, without throwing in some additional light, you're going to be struggling to get, uh, you know, again, it is very subject, subjective, but... Uh, I'm going to say an ideal exposure, you know, based on what a person thinks that they that they want to get. But you could, if you wanted to, you could try to just get some reflections. If it's if it's a very glossy type of foliage, you could try to get some reflections in there, and that would look natural. But you know, generally, it's going to be very dark, and so you're going to want to either think about popping some film film flash in there, mm -hmm. or maybe even taking a a flashlight. You know, I mean that. There are some excellent. I, I use LED lenser flashlights, LED lenser flashlights, and they're they're excellent, really good. They're they're actually um, white balanced, pretty close to a you know, daylight white balance as well. So I use those to just uh, you know paint in a little bit of light sometimes. But I don't do a lot of this sort of photography. I'm I'm generally more about trying to capture the ambient light, and and I'll use flash photography for portrait work, but. For, for nature, I don't do a lot of that, but I'm sure that that's the that's the way you could do it with, with a little bit of painting with light. Well, let's let's put it to the speed lighter of the crew, <laughs> Silarina. <laughs> how would how would you put on your speed lighting cap and shoot this difficult situation? You know, it's 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 not it's not difficult, um, and everybody's right on track. I mean, the reality is, our cameras in broad daylight or in broad moonlight don't have the ability to record the full dynamic range of brights and darks that, the, that we can see. I mean, our cameras are getting better, but, you know, it's still that wide range, and it's exactly the same issue. I mean, I've, I've long said that moonlight is just recycled sunlight. Mm -hmm. And, in fact, if you shoot by, you know, the full moon, if you, if you set your camera to daylight white balance, you really won't be, you know, greatly disappointed in that. So it's true. You've got a very bright object, as Derek pointed out. And the reality is you have, you, you, you know, try as I have, Frederick, mm -hmm. um, you really can't light the moon, um, <laughs> even with a lot of speed lights. And so <laughs> but still, you can shoot the moon, though, right? <laughs> uh, you know, I've tried to shoot it. I've tried to jump over it. I've howled certainly once or twice. Yeah. Um, so the reality is, you, you, it's just a standard digital capture in that you've got to set your exposure to protect the highlights, namely the details on the moon, and then let your shadow detail fall where it may. And then, of course, here comes the speed lighter um, who says, okay, and then you add light back in selectively to the shadow areas to reduce that extreme dynamic range so that it's within the camera's ability to record it. Now, in terms of what's the proper exposure, you know, that's that's artistic as as Derek pointed out, um, that's really an artistic call. And uh, whether you do it with speed lights or, you know, if it's a nice warm evening and you're having some fun, whether, like Martin said, you do it with some flashlights, um, I don't think that really matters. But the bottom line is you're going to expose to protect the highlights and the detail on the moon, and then you're going to add light back in to get the foliage showing the way that you want it to be. Love it. Love it. All right. Question number two is one that I'm really glad that all three of you are on the show for. Because <laughs> I want to know the question, answer to this. So Activator, spelled with an eight in the forums, the TWIP forums, recently says he recently experimented the shooting manual and found that it slowed him down. He's wondering what the advantages are of manual and why can't he just shoot in shutter or in, uh, aperture priority and use exposure compensation? Derek Story, what do you think? 
Well, he can. Of course he can. You, you can do any of those things. I mean, I, I use uh, all of those. I use program, aperture priority, shutter priority, and manual. When I personally like manual, uh, the time that I go to it, I like it for when I'm doing flash photography. Uh, uh, perfect examples like, a, let's say, a wedding reception uh, where uh, I'm using the aperture to to control the basically the exposure on the subject that's illuminated by the flash. And I'm using shutter speed to kind of more or less control the ambient light in the room. And, and in that case, manual exposure is easier, for me anyway, is easier than using some kind of program mode or you know something where I'm f- having to alter it. I can just set the shutter speed, set the aperture, and off I go. Yeah. So I think for me, it depends on the situation. And then the only other thing I'll say that you know sometimes it is okay to slow down a bit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and you know, really uh, think about what you're doing, and you know, really work work the subject a bit. I mean, that's not a bad thing. Not not in every situation, but sometimes it's a good thing. Yeah, Martin Bailey, what what do you what do you think about this? Is manual the way to go if you're a pro, or can you can you lean on the other two letter settings on your camera? And I think that it it doesn't really matter. Like Derek said, whatever whatever you want to use, use it. Um, but there are times, and I, we actually go into this a lot in my workshops, but there are times where manual will save you time and it'll probably save you a lot of images that you can't use as well. Like One of the biggest things, the first main subject that we photograph when we go to Hokkaido on my workshops is the red crown crane. And these are a big white bird. They've got black patches on them, but basically... You want to get, you want to be able to see the texture in both the white feathers and the black feathers, and the only way to do that is to really expose for those whites. And mm-hmm. these these guys, they're, they're big, like 160 centimeter birds, and they are standing on a field of white snow. So if you want to use aperture priority for that, that's fine to a point. Um, you know, exposure compensation, you're going to need plus one and two-thirds or plus two-thirds or plus two stops of exposure to expose white on white. And that will give you good exposure until those guys start doing that mating dance where they're jumping up in the air <laughs> or, they're, or they're flying in or they're taking, fl- taking off and flying out. Movement. Then what, right, because then what happens is they go against their, their background is some very dark trees in the background. And so all of a sudden, your aperture priority is going to say, okay, so... This is good with my plus two uh, stops of exposure. But then you've got a bird taking up five, ten percent of the image and the rest of it is pretty much black. You're going to have a supernova instead of a crane flying across <laughs> that. Really. I mean, it's like th- these things glow. You're, if, you, if you shoot like that, then you're going to have, it's going to be so overexposed that you're going to have a glowing white patch in the middle of the frame because your camera all of a sudden is, it wants to underexpose the black by a stop or two, but then you've got a, a crane in there that is actually two stops more. So you've got four stops of difference, and you, you just cannot capture those two things um, in, you know, with the dynamic range of the cameras. So the first thing that we do when we get, go to Hokkaido is I tell people that for the next few days, if, unless you're totally allergic to this and you're going to come out in a rash, you need to start to get used to using manual. And the first day, a lot of people that have never used manual are so scared that they go back to aperture priority and they always get messed up images. Yeah. And so we, you know, a lot of people leave my workshop saying I'm now a manual shooter. And I don't think that, I mean, you don't have to use manual all the time. If, there are, if you're running and gunning 
and you have lighting that's pretty predictable, then aperture priority can be fine. I use manual all the time, and it's not out of snobbery or anything like that. It's just because it's what I'm used to now. I, I used to use aperture priority all the time. And for me, the aperture is my, one of my biggest um, artistic tools. You know, I, I want to get shallow depth of field most of the time. And so I, aperture is important to me, but I also don't want to be thinking about the exposure all of the time either. I mean, there's nothing worse to me than, than messing around with, the back, with a wheel on the back there, thinking, okay, I need to be too over here, I need to be too under here. I just want to set it and forget it. Mm. And, and for me, that's the beauty of manual. I, I lose the odd shot for sure. But you get into the habit of always looking at that little carrot on the side and looking at where your exposure is. And if I know that I'm shooting white on white, I need to be plus one and two thirds or, or two stops above. If I'm shooting a very dark scene and I want to represent it darkly, I'll be shooting under. And I just know where the carrot should be on that exposure meter. And I'm always adjusting for that. It's, it's kind of, it takes a lot of work to begin with to begin with but it certainly saves shots if you're if you're working in difficult lighting now still uh, throwing this to you now how does manual mode play into some folks that are say in your tribe that are that are you know trying to do the speed lighting thing and and get their brain around that does manual is manual out of the question for them no not at all quite the contrary um you know, I've always seen the M on the dial as being mystery mode, not necessarily manual mode. Mm -hmm. um, so, no, I mean, the reality is when you're shooting flash at, you know, normal sync speeds, um, the shutter speed has no impact on how much flash gets through to the sensor or to the film plane. And that's because when a strobe fires, it's on for such a brief period of time that it doesn't matter if you're shooting the 60th of a second or 250th of a second. That flash is flying through the lens for only an 800th of a second or a shorter period of time. So in my pictorial approach to you know, photography, what you can do then is use the shutter speed to control how much ambient. So if it's really bright and you want it to, the ambient light to be dimmer, use a faster shutter speed. If it's really dim, like you're supposed to be shooting a sunny interior and it's a rainy day, then you use a really long shutter speed to gather in that light. Um, so, you know, that said, I mean, to a small extent, that is what exposure compensation does when you're in aperture priority mode, is it mucks with the shutter speed based upon the compensation amount that you've dialed in. Um, and depending on the camera you have, you may have two stops of EC up or down, or you may have three stops. Um, and depending upon, in my world, how far I want to make a move on the ambient, I may have to switch over to manual because the move that I need to make up or down on the shutter speed is beyond the range that exposure compensation can handle. Mm. So, you know, again, they're all wrenches in the toolbox and you reach for the right wrench. The other reason to use manual mode instead of aperture priority with flash is that when you're shooting a dim situation, which is often when people decide that they should turn on their flash, the reality is that aperture priority is going to give you some crazy long shutter speed. The camera has no idea really what's in front of the lens. It's just trying to come up with a decent exposure based on the algorithms the engineers stuffed inside. Yeah. yeah. So in dim situations, manual mode is manual camera mode. Let's be specific about that. You know, it's manual speed light mode and manual camera mode. So in dim light, manual camera mode is, is really a place to start. Now, if you want a quick tip, 
start your camera up in aperture priority, um, chimp the image off the back of your camera, make a note of that shutter speed and that aperture, and then dial those in as a starting point in manual and go from there. Love it. Love it. Derek, before we move on, I wanted to, you know, I look at you as the, the one of the big educators in our, uh, our crew here. Um, when you're, when you're looking at this stuff or when you're, we're talking about aperture priority manual and exposure compensation per se, I know a lot of folks are scratching their head about exposure compensation. Like, what is that? I'm looking at the top of my camera right now. It's an icon camera and the exposure compensation button has a pretty prime piece of real estate right next to the shutter release. So Mm -hmm. it must be important. What is exposure compensation? Well, your you know your camera by default meters the scene a certain way based on how it's been calibrated, usually for right around you know middle gray of some sort, which is blue sky, foliage, all that sort of stuff. And so the thinking is that's great when you're in you know typical wonderful daylight sort of situation. You're going to get great exposures, but if you're in program mode or if you're in aperture priority or shutter priority. Uh, you may want to tweak that exposure a little bit. And, you know, as these guys are saying, they're spot on, that if you're in a darker situation, you know, where you're shooting, you know, you, where you want blacks and so forth, you want the dark scene to remain dark, camera's going to try to change it to gray if you just leave it alone because that's its calibration. So then you use that exposure uh, compensation, say, no camera, take your meter <laughs> reading, and then I want you to, do a little less light. It's the bad know. camera button. It's bad, bad camera, camera, bad camera. <laughs> and then it's just like when you're in a bright situation, it wants to turn that that beautiful white to you know kind of a mucky gray. And you go, camera, no, I want white. So then I'm just going to add plus one or plus one and a half. So it's just a way for you understanding how your camera is exposing the scene to adjust it because the camera, you know, is, is is calibrated for what it's calibrated for, and you need that exposure compensation if you're not in manual mode, to uh, you know get the right exposures. Awesome, perfect explanation. Thanks, Derek. Mm-hmm. All right, guys. This this episode is also brought to you by Squarespace.com. They're the fast and easy way to create a high quality website or blog. And for a free trial and twenty percent off your new account for six months, our listeners can head over to Squarespace.com and use the offer code TWIP10. It's I'm sorry, TWIP11 this week. It's TWIP11. TWIP11. And uh, this is uh, this is interesting. So Squarespace.com is a I mean, for those folks who don't know what it is, it's a web-based service that allows you to create an easy-to-use sort of UI. They have an easy-to-use UI for managing and creating your website or blog. It's optimized for both beginners and CSS experts. They've got design templates, hundreds of them in there, that you can start with one and then tweak it as much as you want to make it your own. They've got application, iPhone and iPad apps so you can update your blog and manage comments and all sorts of things. Their list goes literally on and on and on on things that you can add to your blog to tweak it to get to the exact point that you want to. It's uh, it's really a strong service, and you can try it out for free. If you want to try it, just head over to squarespace.com. You don't need to sign up for, you know, you don't need your credit card. You just sign up for a free account. You can try it out, start building your website. Then you decide to purchase it. Again, use that offer code TWIP11, and you'll get 20% off your new account for six months. It's 20% off for six months just with the code TWIP11. That's squarespace.com with the offer code 
TWIP11. All right, we're coming in for the home stretch here. This is the time on the show where each guest gives their pick of the week. Remember, a pick can be software, hardware, gear, workshop, whatever, as long as it is somehow even tangentially related to photography. Derek Story, what is your pick of the week? I'm going to give my nod this week to uh, Apple's PhotoStream, which is uh, incredibly young, uh, quite flawed. <laughs> so it's, and, Derek's pick is and, quite flawed, but I want to pick it. Yeah. But I'm picking it, and, and I'll tell you why. Because uh, one of my one of my big concerns in this age of mobile photography is uh, images being stuck on the mobile device, never getting onto the computer, maybe even being lost forever. And these could be important snapshots, uh, anniversaries, weddings, things like that. So for a technology to come along that I think finally in a very consumer-friendly way, uh, moves things uh, off the mobile device automatically, makes them available to the other devices and, and stores them in the cloud, uh, I think has great potential. And it's something that, that I've been hoping for. And, and I think it's just going to get better. And uh, so I, I'm, happy, I'm happy that it's here. Wonderful. All right, PhotoStream, we'll keep a look at keep. It's an alpha, according to Derek's story. It's a definitely alpha. <laughs> keep an eye on that. All right, thanks, Derek. Next up is Sil Arena. What is your pick of the week? Oh, it's, it's an easy one. It's my friends over in Dubai at Gulf Photo Plus. I want to give them a shout. Um, they are hosting next weekend, um, the Photo Weekend 2011, and it's really an exciting program, and they had the, the great um, courage, shall I say, to ask yours truly to come over to teach four days of speed lighting workshops. So nice. I am thrilled, all except the 17-hour plane ride from uh, L.A. to Dubai. But uh, they're online, golfphotoplus.com. Check them out. They run an exciting program in the Mideast. Wonderful. We'll put links to that in the show notes, of course. Thanks, so. All right, next up is Mr. Martin Bailey. What's your pick of the week? You know, I'm, I can't remember if this has been mentioned before, but I'm going to give a shout-out to the new 500, 500px app, the iPad app. I don't this believe is, it has been mentioned before. Oh, that's good. The, um, it was only released a few, maybe three weeks or so ago, um, but this thing is free, so it's not going to cost anybody any money, and, and that's very, very rare for me because usually I, cost, I make people spend too much money. Mm-hmm. But um, go to the iTunes store and, and search for, or the App Store and search for 500px. It's there. It's the official one. The, the 500px guys have, have created this. But if you if you know the site, it's full of inspiration. You know, you you can't help but go to 500px and be inspired by the quality of work there. It's amazing. Yeah, it is. And and the, what if you're actually a member, then you can sign in, and it allows you to look at and and display your own. 500px stream, but also you can click on the friends button, and you you get you get to see a, a stream from all of your friends. And if you're not even a member, then you you can still use it to just look at and be totally inspired by all of the amazing work over there. So the 500px app is is it for me this week? No, is that uh, is that a universal app? Meaning it's on the iPad and the iPhone? I don't believe it's it works on the iPhone. It's um, I'm pretty certain. Um, that I looked at this, but it, it's it seems to be only an iPad app, got it. Um, and and it uses the real estate as well. It's you know it's got those beautiful square thumbnails. Uh, it fills the screen with those, and it's just got a little um, toolbar down the the side there, and it, it so it uses the real estate pretty well. 
I'm, I don't think it works on the phone. Very good. I will be downloading that right after we stop recording the show. All right, and my pick of the week quickly is from a TWIP regular, David Dushman. He has released a new book through our friends over at Peach Pit Press. It is called Photographically Speaking, and it is amazing. I've got it here in front of me right now. Let me read what's on the back cover, because everyone wants to know what these books are for, and you'll read the back cover to find that out. And he says, Photographically Speaking is about learning photography's visual language to better speak to why and how a photograph succeeds, and in turn to consciously use that visual language in the creation of our own photographs, making us stronger photographers who are able to fully express and communicate our vision. So it's, uh, I just got this book yesterday, and you know I just thumbed through it, and of course the images in it are stunning, and uh, I'm looking forward to sitting down with a cup of coffee or Jack Daniels and uh, reading <laughs> 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 will, you, will you have any ace in there? <laughs> <laughs> a little ace in my Jack Daniels. <laughs> but uh, yeah, photographically speaking by David Dushman, it is available in on Peach Pit Press's website and also on Amazon.com right now. We'll put a link to the Amazon page in the show notes. All right. We are at the end of another fantastic episode. I made it through with the Death Star of Photographers here <laughs> and I'm alive. I'm not Alderaan. So, Derek Story, where can people go to find out more about you? I think the best place is to go to thedigitalstory.com. And I think everything else kind of just runs right through there, podcast and everything else. When is your next workshop, Derek? Oh, boy. Uh, I think in a week. Uh, We're going to do Aperture Workshop in a week. It's full, isn't it? Uh, It is. It is. (laughs) Okay. When is your next not full workshop? Well, there's a there's a link on the site, and uh, it has the the whole 2012 season. Oh, and wonderful! So, yeah, so and I, now I add a little uh, little form, like three field forms, so you can get on the reserve list. And, oh, you're not just doing and, email reservations anymore. No, you are all no, high no. tech now. What's going I, on? I know. I I I got serious about that that part of it, and it's really it's it's great because you know now people are you know they're more easily able to make plans for you, you next are, year. You are in the future. Are people able to pay with the workshop with things other than cows and you know pelts and things like that? <laughs> I prefer camera lenses, but uh, <laughs> the camera lens is sort of the modern day chicken for me. So yeah, oh, you c- come with a seventy two hundred two eight, and we'll wow. let you in. You'll let it in for the yeah. next several workshops. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, thanks, Derek. Silarino, where can people go to find out more about your antics? Uh, on speedlighting.com, spelled Cannon's way, S-P-E-D-L-I-T-I-N-G.com. And on Twitter, Syl, S-Y-L underscore Arena, A-R-E-N-A. All right, perfect. And what about you? I know you just, you're just you just on the heels of a workshop. How did that go and what's next? Uh, yeah, we had a great time. I had my advanced speedlighting workshop here in Paso Robles. Um, and then I tootled off to uh, New York. And you now tootled? back Still, you I tootled toodle? off to New York, yes. <laughs> I don't um, know if you're allowed to tootle with toodle. that haircut. Is that? Yeah, but, uh, you know, um, <laughs> it's it's streamlined in a, in a high-speed wind. Um, <laughs> anyway, so, no, it's it's an interesting time of year. As I mentioned, I'm off to Dubai, and um, it's not been announced, but it looks like in early December I'm going to be doing some speaking engagements uh, back in uh, Manhattan on speed lighting. Those will be free, and... and um, details will come very soon, I hope, um, about that. And uh, gosh, I can't believe 2011 is almost over. I'm still trying to figure out where most of the year went. It's almost over. I'm coming up on another yeah. birthday. 
in November. I'm I'm sad. <sighs> Don't worry, teen is not bad, Frederick. You know, I can drink now legally. It's amazing. <laughs> All right, Martin Bailey. Where can people go to find out what you're working on? And also, what I'm interested in is your next series of workshops. When's that coming on? Uh, well, people can find everything that I'm into, including all of the social media links at martinbaileyphotography.com. And the the next, I'm actually, I've been spending a fair bit of time this this week putting together the pages for, uh, or one big page to explain all of the details of my Southern New Zealand tour and workshop that we're going to be holding next April. It It's because of a few things that have happened this year, we're a little bit late announcing the details, but um, they're going to be live over the next few days, and it's going to be an amazing tour. We we start in Dunedin, and we uh, we go all around the Otago Peninsula, and I can't even pronounce a lot of the names of the places that we're going to, but like Stewart Island, lots of amazing accommodation and food as well. So it's going to be a really good experience. Uh, I'm doing this with a guy called Clive Copeman, and he's uh, he's based down there in Dunedin, so he's he's the local expert for this one. Uh, but details are going to be released within the next few days at mbpworkshops.com. So if anyone's interested in that. And we've also got, I mean, I'm, as soon as I finish this, probably this afternoon, I'm going to be working on the new page for a Provence tour as well in France. Wow. And we've got Switzerland coming up and, uh, and a UK tour later next year. So there's a lot going to be released in, the, in this next few weeks. So please do check that out. That's wonderful. I love it. All right. Cool. Thanks, guys. That's wonderful. And also, don't forget to tune into TWIP, TWIP Live. It's on the last Thursday of every month. Our next episode normally is, would be scheduled for November 21st, but first or 24th, actually, at 7 p.m. But as Syl just reminded me in our Google document, um, he was typing as I was reading. <laughs> he just reminded me just now that that is Thanksgiving here in and the United States. And it's not States. polite to talk with your mouth full, Frederick. It is not polite to stream with your mouth full. So we'll have to find out about that. But just keep an eye on our Twitter or Facebook feeds and you'll find out exactly when that is. Like I said, normally it's on the last Thursday of every month at 7 p.m. Pacific. But this time it may either be a little bit earlier or a little bit later. But uh, follow us on Twitter or Facebook. Hey. Hey Frederick, can yeah. I just say one more thing quickly? Absolutely. Yeah. I I just remembered that we've we've we have a German version. You know, I still have a few places left on my Japan Hokkaido Snow Monkey tour as well. Hmm. They're all on they're all on the the mbpworkshops.com uh, website, but I've also hooked up with Chris Marquardt for to do a possible German version. You know, that we were we were working on this for a while. Um, I remember but, you mentioning that. Yeah, and for right. those who don't know, Chris is from the Tips from the Top Floor podcast. Right. So, so this week, I've I've actually you know we're we're trying to fill this tour or at least get the minimum numbers. Um, and Chris has just mailed out to a bunch of people, and it's going to mean that there are there's going to be a German tour and then probably an extra English and German with me and Chris before that. But we need to get the numbers quickly for this. So it's it's a bit of a, a rush again. So if people are interested in a German-only tour, then mail Chris or mail me. Um, you can get you can get to me at workshops at martinbaileyphotography.com, and I'll get you in touch with Chris as well. But that's something that we're trying to do. We really need to sort of get a, an idea of the numbers for that over the next few weeks. So I wanted to just push that in quickly at the end there. Sorry about that. No worries. That's, so that's Martin, where, where is it? Workshops at martinbaileyphotography.com? 
Yeah, if people need in information on that, either go straight to Chris about it um, or just email me at workshops at martinbaileyphotography.com and I'll put you in touch with Chris and give you the details and we'll see if we can't get that one off the ground. Perfect. And if you can't remember any of that stuff, we'll put links and everything in the show notes for this episode. Great. All right. And uh, to close it off, to keep up with everything in the TWIP universe, you can just head over to thisweekinphoto.com. There you'll find links to all of our online presences. And also, please support the show by leaving us a comment on iTunes, a positive comment, please. And speaking of iTunes, you can check out the TWIP podcast app. It's a handy way to keep up with the shows as soon as as they're published. And if you're looking for me, Frederick Van Johnson, you can always find me at frederickvan.com. And with that, it is time to take that lens cap off. This Week in Photo is a Pixelcore.tv production produced by Suzanne Llewellyn with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar. Jamakar.